Hello, and welcome back to the 11th round, a sports podcast for people who care too much about things that don't matter. My guest today is Chris Clegg. Say hi, Chris. Hey, man. How are you? Thank you for having me on. It's my pleasure. I have so far had a great time hosting a podcast. It's been a interesting – there are things that go into it that I didn't anticipate. We'll say that. <laughs> for sure. I've never actually hosted a pod, so I don't really know all the, the details, but I do know they're a lot of fun, and I'm excited to be here today. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. So um, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about uh, where you write and what you specialize in? Yeah, of course. So right now I'm writing at Roto Fanatic, I'm kind of across the board there. I'm doing a lot of redraft, dynasty, working on some, actually did some major league draft work, which is exciting. This first time really focusing on the drafts this year, which was a lot of fun covering that. I'm kind of putting a fantasy spin on the people drafted, which was a lot of fun. Um, I'm also do some scouting for prospects worldwide, um, do working with the Red Sox farm system there. So I'm local in Greenville, South Carolina, which is the home of the Greenville Drive, the Red Sox single A team. So spend a lot of time over there, do some coverage for prospects worldwide. And recently just joined the Fantrax team, which is super exciting. Um, and so my first article will be out there this coming week on Thursday, which I'm looking forward to. And so it's a super Super honored to be able to write with Eric Cross and some of those guys, so I'm super excited about that. And you can find me on Twitter if you want to connect at Roto Clegg, C-L-E-G-G. I'm always down to talk some baseball, so feel free to hit me up, man. It sounds like, uh, much like most people in the business, you probably do too much. <laughs> just a little bit, just a little <laughs> bit. It's easy to get spread out thin. So, um, obviously... The biggest story in baseball is that there is baseball, right? Yeah, man, it, we're excited that it's finally coming back. It's been quite an off season of back and forth between the owners and the, the players. And man, I'm just excited that we will have baseball this year. It's going to be weird. Uh, fantasy baseball is going to be extremely weird, but it'll be an, an, a, definitely a fun ride, I think. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm just happy we'll get to see baseball in a couple of weeks. I uh I'm I'm pretty conflicted. My my public presence on Twitter is very much in the anti-season category. Um I I think it's a terrible idea to play a season in the middle of a pandemic that's not being well controlled, but uh the inner fanboy still wants to watch baseball on television. So. For sure. Man, I I am a little concerned. I'm concerned we might get started and shut down again at that point. Why even start? But who knows? If, who knows what's going to happen, man? I'm again the fanboy. Just super excited for baseball. <laughs> you know, sixty game season, sixty games into the season is about when we start to make conclusions about players in a regular season. By sixty games through this season, we'll have all the data we're going to have. So that makes fantasy baseball real screwy because um, there's a lot of small sample size stuff that goes into it. So for a, a fantasy expert like yourself, um, what are sort of the things that you're thinking about when looking at the 2020 season? Goodness, man, it, it's going to be crazy. And uh, you call me an expert. I appreciate that. It means a lot. I don't consider myself quite that smart. Just just sharing my passion for the game and, uh, and the game of fantasy. That's why I write. But I appreciate the, uh, the honor well, there if it's an expert. Um, Compared to me, everyone's an expert. I've played fantasy baseball <laughs> twice with the Bless You Boys staff, and I am just atrocious, atrocious yeah. at fantasy baseball. So uh, I'll just nod and smile uh, with whatever <laughs> you say. <laughs> 
Yeah, so it's, again, it's going to be a really strange fantasy season. Normally, like you said, numbers don't really stabilize until, like, later on at 60 games or later, really. You need quite a few plate appearances, quite a few innings pitched to get a solid sample. But here we are, and we're not going to see a solid sample until the season's over. (laughs) So I think you're going to see some wild things happening. You're going to see guys that don't generally perform well that you're going to you're going to have guys that aren't even drafted performing at high end levels it's just it's going to be crazy um so it's it's hard to project i think right now it is hard there's so many strategies i talk to a lot of people and and so many people have different strategy going into this year and that's what makes it fun that's what i love about fantasy baseball is there's a lot of ways you can do it and this year there's going to be even more ways to do it from my standpoint, I've gone back and forth, man. I've just wavered on what kind of strategy should we take in this season for a fantasy perspective. And I've struggled with it. I've, I've tried to do mocks and toy with different, these different strategies because like I said, which one is the right one? And it's probably going to be a little different for everybody. You're probably going to have people in your draft room that are going extreme. Like they're going this far end extreme. But personally, like if I'm if I'm drafting today in a in a draft, I'm looking at least at the start of drafts. I'm looking for hitters that are consistent, hitters that have high floors. I'm not trying to waste picks on these high upside guys that potentially could bust. Because I, the first player that comes to mind is like an Adalberto Mondesi, who of course he can provide winning steals, but at the same time. If he can't get on base, then he's not going to be stealing bases, and that really kills. I mean, if, if, if in a short season, there's so many samples, and we've been running some samples over at Roto Fanatic trying to look and study this. It's it's confusing. It's it's complicated <laughs> because you can even like Mike Trout. Mike Trout's going to go through struggles in a, a shortened season, but right now I'm looking at guys that provide a good floor. I'm looking at guys that provide across the board early in drafts. I'm not wasting an early round pick on a Pete Alonso who, while he is a great player and he's a great asset, he might hurt you in batting average. He might go through a slump and, and not provide any home runs. So then you're getting literally nothing from a second to third round guy. I do love the Trey Turner types. Trey's a guy that I think should have be getting bumped up boards because he can contribute across the board. He's consistent. He's steady. He provides solid batting, helps you in home runs, steals across the board. Those are the kind of guys I'm looking at drafting. And so if we can, if you can draft these type of players and chip away a little bit at a time, you don't need to go for the big volatile plays like the, the Gallows or the, the Mondeses, those guys that really boost you in one category. So I'm a fan and even more of a fan in a shortened season of trying to just chip away across the board. Pitching's interesting. Pitching is really something that I've struggled with. And is it, should you go aces early? Should you punt saves? There's so many different strategies. Honestly, what I've come up with is I'm waiting on starting pitching. I'm looking up beef in my lineup early. And then if I can get the pitchers later, because there are guys later that you can load up on. There's guys in the, in the hundred range that I really love. And across the board, you can get solid starting pitching and with shortened season means guys may be able to throw more innings, especially guys that maybe on the last year of their contract, teams might send them out. They might just let, let them run them into the, the dirt, man, because why not? Let's get the most out of them for the team this year. 
And so if I can load up on bats early and then take look at guys later like Tyler Glassnows or Jesus Lazardos, Lance McCullers, Luke Weaver, Rich Hills, man, those guys are, are affordable and can provide good value in my opinion. So that's just a little bit of, of kind of what my thinking in a shortened season. And so any thoughts? What, what do you think? Uh, well, that most of what you say makes sense um, because – I, I'm obviously not a fantasy expert, but where I thrive is the MLB draft. I'm, I, I really enjoy looking at that sort of thing. And some of the similar principles come into play um, because obviously when you're drafting for a fantasy team, um, these players are all established and you have a long track record, which is not something you can really look at when you're looking at amateur players most of the time. But that track record tells you exactly what kind of player you're going to be taking, whether it's like you're saying a high-risk volatile guy um, someone who provides one one tool and maybe uh, one stat that you're going to rely on him for. Um, I was curious, though. You you mention what you've settled into and that you've seen a lot of different strategies. Um, what are some other pitfalls you're seeing people fall uh, um, tending to go towards in your mock drafts? Strategies that you think are are unwise. Are there any other tendencies you're you're seeing? Man, there's been just across the board a wide variety. A lot of people are beefing up starting pitching, trying to get as many starting pitching early as they can. I mean, I've seen guys go four straight starting pitchers off the board. Again, I'm, it's hard to say. Like, I don't have a definite answer, and I, I think that's what's great about it is that you can go a lot of different ways, and it's not a big deal. But – I don't know. I've seen I've seen a wide variety. A lot of people are going boom and bust. They're they're beefing up on the Gallows, Stantons, uh, Mondesi type players. But my my concern with that is if if one of those guys gets hurt and they miss significant time, you're losing so much in that category. Like if you're expecting Gallo to hit 40 home runs over a full season, we'll say, and he misses three fourths of the season, then you're losing a lot in home runs. But if I can get these guys that chip away a little bit and or can give me 20, 25 home runs and 15 to 20 steals and I lose one of them to an injury, then then I'm not as concerned because I have other guys that can replace them. And so there there have been some pretty wonky strategies. Man, I've seen guys go insanely high. And like Rich Hill, I like Rich Hill, especially knowing that he'll be healthy when he's when he's been healthy. He's been a top five pitcher on like a per innings basis, which is awesome. He But he can't stay healthy. He's going ADP right now around 250, which I like. I've seen him up in the 130s in a mock, which is just crazy. I've seen guys like Matt Olson go at 20. Man, that's too high. I'm looking for proven guys. Like I just can't take the risk and, and dive in that deep and that early on guys that I can't really trust. And so I'm looking for guys that have done it regularly and, and not as much. And, and rookies always, young guys always provide value. Like we know that. Like there's the Pete Alonzos every year that come who are relatively unknown that aren't hardly drafted and then they end up being a top 20 player. That's going to happen. And you're going to see a lot of that in this season because it's going to be weird. But I don't know. <laughs> there's just been a lot of weird things and a lot of weird players getting pushed up boards that I personally wouldn't. So. And, and what about at the top of the board? Is there any justification in a 60 game season to take someone other than Mike Trout at one? I don't. I'm not leading you to an answer. I'm curious what your what your response would be to that. Yeah, I'm honestly concerned that Trout 
may not play enough to be worth the first pick. He's got a baby on the way with everything going on. Normally, we see guys only take three days, four days off when they do that, when their wives do have kids. But I don't know. In this weird year with the pandemic, we could see Trout miss 10, 15 games. And I don't, I wouldn't fault him for it. But I'm not sure if Trout's worth the risk. And I'm wondering, even though he is, he's the most steady, he's the best player in baseball. Like we know that. Like he's, he's been the best fantasy asset. There shouldn't be any other answer but Trout. But that's all, that's been in the back of my mind. It's like, it is concerning. So I don't know. Honestly, I could justify Mookie Betts going number one because Betts isn't a contract year. Betts is looking for a big payday and he has the, the caliber in him to, to perform like a number one player. Acuna, obviously, he's he's a stud. This is a year where you can go different directions. I've even, I, I can even justify maybe DeGrom going because DeGrom is so steady as a starting pitcher. Like Personally, I'm not huge on taking starting pitching early, but this could be the year because you know what DeGrom provides across the board. And if DeGrom – I mean, DeGrom has shown he's able to just post ridiculous numbers over a full season, so – Small sample size, hot streak to Grom. I mean, it's easy to see him being the best player in baseball. That's not a hard scenario to first see this this year. Yeah, I, I can definitely get on board with that. I mean, he's he's just so good and so consistently good. We know what he provides, and man, if he gets hot for a few starts, that ERA could. I mean, look at Glass now. Last year, I mean, in his sixty innings, he pitched how elite he was, and you could. Definitely see quite a few guys doing that. DeGrom would definitely be one that I think could easily just blow away the competition and be the number one player. But again, there's there's plenty of options. Right. The first that, round. Just that becomes a, a real conversation though when Trout is no longer the slam dunk guy at one. There's a power vacuum there at that top spot, and you could imagine any number of baseball superstars taking that taking that throne. Yeah, in a year like this, anybody could produce like a number one fantasy asset, and it's gonna it's gonna throw an ADP into a whirlwind for next year. Like you're gonna see guys who you would never expect perform like first round guys in in a shortened season, and man, it is just gonna be a mess next year because. The, these aren't over a full season. These guys' samples won't sustain, but people will boost them up and think that it's legit. And so, like you said, anybody could do it. It's This is the year anyone could overtake that spot. That's the thing. This is a year for – a weird year for fantasy purposes because anybody could win with any certain players <laughs> just based on the hot streaks. And that's, that's the thing. I'm a, If I'm looking at waivers and fab, you got to ride hot streaks. Jump on board quick and get these guys because, man – any hot streak, you've got to ride it if you want to win, I think. So um, you you wrote an interesting article for Roto Fanatic um, detailing some of the players who you think are going to be wise investments this year. Um, so if I remember correctly, I'm, I'm looking it up right now. I should have had it pulled up before we started recording. Brian Reynolds was one of the guys you mentioned in that article. Is that right? Yes. So, I've so done, talk I've, to me some about uh, why you think Brian Reynolds is a guy people should be investing in. Sure. So I've done three. I've done three parts of this series, looking at different guys who I think can contribute in certain different categories in a shortened season. And so Reynolds is obviously one of the highlights of the batting average target. And like I said, early on in drafts, 
I'm looking for guys that are steady across the board, hitters that can provide multiple categories, give me good value. But then when we get into the later rounds, you can take some risk because, well, you can afford to. And so these one-hit wonder articles have, have really focused on guys that are going later in drafts that you can get certain categories from. And Brian Reynolds is is one in batting average who is a monster. Reynolds was obviously kind of not well-known prior to last year. He was uh, traded to the Pirates in the Andrew McCutcheon trade from the Giants. He was never ranked super high as a prospect, but he just hits everywhere he goes. I mean, he produces great batting average. Last season, he started out the year in AAA with a 367 average and a 446 on base, which then led to his call-up. People really didn't know who he was, but he instantly became one of the best hitters on the team. Hit 314, um, which was super impressive. He's got the tools to, I mean, just hit the ball. He hits the ball across the field well. He's not going to give you a huge boost in home runs or other categories, but in batting average, he's worth the investment because he is that good. I mean, in in his minor league career, in 1,088 at-bats, 312 average, he just hits the ball hard everywhere. And I, I was really dove in on his, his spray chart um, and looked at his heat map also on contact and batting average. And so kind of some impressive stats, like low center, Reynolds hit 471. Middle end, 457. Middle down, 400. So he just mashes the ball in the zone. And where he lacks is when he swings outside the zone. And so if he can work on not hitting as many pitches outside the zone, if he can work on that that O swing and focus on just swinging in more pitches in the zone, that average could go up even more. Because on balls that he hit outside the zone, he hit 182, 186, 8.089, and 196. So he doesn't – I mean, obviously – Guys that are swinging outside the zone are less likely to hit the ball well, but that's that's like pretty extremely low. But in the zone, Reynolds just hits the ball so well, and that's why I like him. Like he's a guy that could get hot and hit 400 in a shortened season because of the small samples. Like he's that good, and he puts the ball in play that well. So I like Reynolds a lot, and he's going a pick like 182. So you can't go wrong with the value there. What's interesting about him to me is that. Um a lot of times, guys with a prominent uh, weakness, the the argument against them is, well, what's to stop teams from just pounding them on that weakness? But with a guy whose prominent weakness is that he can't hit stuff outside the zone, it's not like teams can just say, okay, just don't throw him anything inside the zone. Because the only the only players who that's really a strategy for are like Barry Bonds level players. Yeah, you for can't sure. pitch around Brian Reynolds. <laughs> Every single game. No. So that that's to me that's what sets him apart from other um, hitters with an extreme dichotomy in their hitting abilities. Yeah, he's a fantastic target, and like you said, he's not the kind of player they're going to pitch around. <laughs> it's not going to happen. And so if he can just work on that swinging at more ball or less balls outside the zone, I mean, he's he's going to produce. And there's no reason to doubt that he can produce. So um, uh, an individual who I was surprised to see you note was uh, Michael Franco, um, who clearly has not been – I apologize. That's not 
You didn't write about that with someone else. I pulled up the <laughs> wrong article. You know what, though? Good. It is interesting to see someone argue for Michael Franco, and I'm just going to put you on the spot anyway and ask you what you think about him, because he clearly was not good enough to keep his spot with the Phillies. And um, I dug into him because there was a rumor connecting the Tigers to Franco. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't discover anything redeeming in his peripheral statistics anyway. Is there any reason to believe that he'll bounce back with the Royals, in your opinion? It's definitely possible. We've seen a lot of guys resurrect their career in Kansas City. I mean, he's going to get the at-bats. There's no one that's keeping him from <laughs> from getting those at-bats there. He's got good power potential, and so he is a guy who, who could provide some power. And, I mean, he's going free in drafts. Like, you're not paying up any dollar amount early on to, to get Franco. He could he could very well be a guy that we see in a small sample just really take off just because of his power it's it's likely. I mean, it, like you said, he's going to get the at-bats. He's going to play. And so that's important in the season, guys, who are going to play, who are going to get a lot of at-bats. So for fantasy purposes, that is important. So because I clearly pulled up the wrong article, why don't you just fill in the blank? Who's an individual who would not be expected to – who's the most under-the-radar guy who you're who you're on? Sure. For batting average, definitely Howie Kendrick. He didn't, he didn't get a ton of at bats last year, but when he did, he was incredible. I mean, he hit 344 last year, 359, 395, excuse me, on base, 572 slug and 17 home runs, despite playing about half the time. Now we get a universal DH in the National League, so he benefits, the Nationals benefit from that. More at bats for Kendrick. I mean, he just mashes the ball. I know he's old. He's 37 years old. Anything could happen. But he just produces. He's produced throughout his career. And for batting average, going at pick 415, I mean, unless you're playing in an FBC draft, he's not going to get drafted. And so you can pick him up off the waiver. He's going to get hot. If he's playing, he's going to produce, especially in daily leagues, because he's going to play. He's going to hit against righty, or against lefties. Excuse me. He hit 376 last year against lefties, so he's going to play again most times that lefties are pitching. So if you can get him in a daily lineup and plug him when he's playing, he's going to give you that boost. So he's a guy that I do really like that's going extremely late in drafts. So for batting average, he's another one I'm looking at. Are there any categories that um, people should be paying more or less attention to in a draft setup where we're not going to be playing a lot of games? It's hard to say. I mean, batting average is completely volatile. Like, someone's Babbitt could be up, and it just have a huge effect on the season-long average. So batting average is something that's hard to peg down. I think that steals could be volatile as well from a hitting standpoint. So there's a lot of volatility, but I do think it is important to address steals early. Like, it thins out so quick. And you can get power at the end. That's what I really focused on in these articles. And so in the batting average, obviously kind of different, but power, like you can find anywhere in the draft. Like you can get a 30, 35 home run guy late in drafts, but you're not going to find guys who steal a lot of bases that are going that late. So it's important to target the steals early on. Like I mentioned, chipping away, finding these guys who can contribute a lot of different places and then there's some late-round steals guys that 
I looked at. Byron Buxton is one who is pretty polarizing. You either love him or you hate him. But Buxton is a potential five-category guy, and he's going like after pick 150. There's a lot to like there. I mean, he showed tangible improvements at the plate last year, and he has elite speed. Like He's more than capable of stealing 30 bases plus over a full season, and he's got enough power to hit 20 home runs. So he's a guy that I really like to contribute a lot. Garrett Hampson, a guy who I think could get a boost, again, from the DH. The Rockies are a weird organization. They mishandle a lot of their young players. But Hampson's a guy, again, he's might have a spot in the lineup thanks to the DH because now we could see uh, Daniel Murphy be in the DH, move uh, Ryan McMahon over to first, and then Hampson has a spot at second. So he has a potential to steal a lot of bases. And a guy who doesn't get talked about much at all is Colton Wong, who really had a career year last year and stole 24 bases, like very, very low key. Like he was, he's not a guy when you think of that steals bases, but steals are important. And I do think you need to try to address those early on because they get thin so quick. So that would probably, I would say get on the steals because you'll, if you don't, you'll miss out. You mentioned earlier, you don't mind taking risks on rookies. And you also mentioned you don't mind taking risks on guys who are going to get um, plenty of playing time. Do those two worlds kind of collide when it comes to someone like Evan White or um, Louis Robert, someone like that who has a fat contract in hand? They're going to get playing time. It's guaranteed, but they have zero proof. Um, are they worth drafting early enough to make up for the hype? It really just depends on where you can get them drafts because Robert goes so high. I mean, he's going mid-70s. I actually did get him at pick 111 in a mock that I did, which I felt really comfortable with because, again, he has produced in the minor leagues. We haven't seen the results at the big league level, but we know he's going to play, like you said. When the guys sign the contracts that have no MLB experience, they are going to play them. It's a waste if they didn't. Absolutely. He's going to play. He might hit at the bottom of the lineup, which, again, is a cause for concern in a a shortened season. But he has shown the ability to hit for power, shown the ability for speed. But at the draft, at his current ADP, I'm just not ready to pay that much because we saw what happened when Vlad's value got super inflated last year and he was going in the 30s and 40s. He just didn't produce at that level. Sometimes it takes guys a while to adjust. And and Robert's a guy that – I do think it'll take him a year or two to adjust. Now you talk about Evan White, who's again going virtually free in drafts. He's a guy I can get on board with taking a shot on because again, he's going to play. He's probably going to have a decent lineup spot because again, you compare the White Sox lineup to the, the Mariners lineup and he's shown the ability to hit in the minors. So a lot depends on the draft position. Like Luzardo is another guy that I love a ton but his value, his ADP has gone up 50 slots since April, and it's just getting a range where I'm not comfortable taking and making that investment. So it, a lot of it depends on ADP and where they're being taken and where I can get them in a draft. Are there any other uh, rookie guys who you are anticipating will get um, playing time that people aren't thinking about? Dylan Carlson, Dylan Carlson is one that I definitely think that He's going to play every day. The Cardinals need him to play every day. They, If they're going to contend, they've got to put their best lineup on the field. 
And Carlson is probably their best outfielder right now. I can't imagine running out Dexter Fowler over him if he's not. I mean, if they want to win, if they're serious about winning and continuing in the short year, put your best players there. Same with Kyle Tucker for the Astros. I know there's a lot of negativity with Dusty Baker and young players. But again, do the Astros want to contend or do they want to continue running out Josh Reddick? <laughs> we know that Tucker's a guy that can produce. We know that Carlson, those guys can produce across the board and they're relatively cheap in drafts. So those are two guys that come to mind immediately that, that I really like and you can get good value on and there's not much risk. So those are the two rookies that are, say, rookies, two guys that I think will be called up and will play. Now, someone who I would personally, in my you know infinite wisdom, would be a little bit nervous about is uh, Lewis Arise, twin second baseman, um, and I know you wrote about him. <laughs> uh, I would be personally be a little worried about Arise because he is one of these guys who's driven by an unusually high BABIP um, because his particular set of skills lends itself towards an especially unusually high BABIP. But um, in a, in a sixty game season, you're looking at sort of a fluky statistical profile. Um, in a fluky season, what gives you the confidence that Lewis Arise will be uh, worth drafting in a in a in a relatively high position if people latch onto that batting average he posted last year? Yeah. So again, like you mentioned, you're dead on with the profile. It could go a variety of different ways. He's a guy who who could hit 400 because of the inflated Babbitt. I don't know. Will we see someone hit 400 this year? That would be crazy. I don't. I don't really know. It's possible, but he's the type of guy that that could. The good news is that he's like Reynolds. He's hit at every level. He's been steady. He he's 331 career average in the minors and 1500 plate appearances, and he's just not going to produce much like much anywhere else, which is. A concern like he's almost like a zero in home runs a zero in steals I mean he's going to chip in a couple but if you're drafting him I mean he's going at around pick 250 which is kind of low but still you want a guy that that can produce he was still young last year he was only 22 last year and so he could grow like he could grow into the frame um, he could grow into power he's exceptional looking at his contact and swing percentages like that's what separates him, in my opinion, because he has such an excellent approach at the plate. He walked more than he struck out last year. Elite contact skills. I mean, he's he's making contact on 95.4% of pitches in the zone that he's swinging at. It was the third best in baseball last year. And his contact percentage in general was, was first among all hitters last year at 93.3%. So his approach to the plate does lead me to believe that he can sustain that average. But... Again, is it worth the investment considering he's not going to provide much else? And that's the question you have to answer as a as an owner or as a draftee. Like, can I afford to take almost a zero in these categories knowing that he may boost me that much in batting average? But I do believe the batting average is here to stay because of his approach at the plate, which which is elite. Now, we've talked almost exclusively about hitters, and um, I know you prefer – you mentioned earlier you prefer – to bulk up on hitters early in the draft. But uh, before we move on to the next segment we had discussed before recording, I want you to talk a little bit about pitchers who you think will be good investments. Um, you, you, 
you mentioned a few earlier. Will you go into a little more detail? Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm honestly a, a better hitter analyst, analyst than a pitcher, but that's something that I've been working on. Um, but first, first guy that I think is probably a dark horse Cy Young candidate in this type of season is Tyler Glass now. I mean, we know that there's injury history. We know that last year could have seemed a little fluky. He's a two-pitch pitcher. He was said to be working on another pitch in the offseason in the spring, so it'll be interesting to see when we come out. But he was just so good when he was on the mound. Like, no one could hit him. I mean, 60 innings pitched, 178 ERA, just absolutely dominant, .89 whip. People couldn't hit him. I mean, yes, he he walked a lot of batters, but I think that he has the stuff that can produce like a high-end pitcher, and I think he's proved that at this level. He proved it last year, and he took a big step forward. And Tampa Bay is just fantastic at developing pitchers. So he's the guy, first and foremost, that I think could be a great value. Again, he's you're still paying a decent amount for him, but it's not like you're paying for Justin Verlander or a Garrett Cole that high. But he's going like in the 60s and 70s. If I can get him in that range, he's a guy that – I like a lot. Um, another guy, another starting pitcher that I would that I'm all over is Lance McCullers because he has been so good when he stays on the mound. Obviously, we know he missed last year with Tommy John, but he is that good when he pitches. I mean, as a 21 year old, he was pitching in the low threes ERA, and he just produces. He strikes out about 10 batters per nine innings, and he's going so incredibly low. I, I still don't understand why his value hasn't been boosted. But you can still get him in the like 180 range, which is insane to me because, again, Astros and pitchers, they just do it and they make it work. And McCullers going that late is a guy that I do really like a lot. Lazardo was a guy that I was on, but as I mentioned, the value is just going out of control right now <laughs> and not a guy that I can really buy in on. Max Freed, uh, another starting pitcher that I love, um, is a Braves fan. I love him, but also from the fantasy side, I I think that we need to flip the value on him and Mike Soroka. Soroka was was pretty lucky last year in a lot of ways, and he doesn't strike out a lot of batters. Freed has that ability to strike out a lot, and he just got better as the year went on last year. So Max Freed's a guy that I'm looking at. So there's just a couple pitchers, starting pitchers that I am in on that I like to try to grab anywhere that I can. So we've been talking mostly about guys who have been flying under the radar, um, but the, there is another side to that coin, guys who people are too high on. Um, in Especially in dynasty leagues, it'll be important to make sure you have an eye on high, sell high candidates. So um, who's a guy you think people really should be looking to sell high on uh, uh, before the season begins? <laughs> Yeah, and, the first, and maybe they're exposed as being overrated. Sure, the first guy that that I'm trying to sell in in dynasty leagues, especially, is is DJ LeMahieu. And I know this is a a fan favorite. A lot of people like him, but last year was such a just a outlier for his career. I mean, we know that he can hit for good average. Like he's going to do that. He's done that throughout his career. But the the amount of home runs he hit last year. I think it was 13 more than he had in his career high. And he's been playing in cores his whole his whole career. And <laughs> I, I know that Yankee Stadium is a good hitter's park. Like, it suits him well. 
He's going to hit lead off in that Yankees lineup. But, dude, his price is just going out of control. <laughs> and he's so high. Like, I, I'm not buying him anywhere, and I've never been on him. But he's going at pick 61 right now, and that's even risen a little bit higher in the last month or so. This is just general ADP data. And so I just have a hard time buying into an H31 power breakout like that. And I think we'll probably see him settle back in, looking at some metrics, probably settle back in around like the 15 to 20 mark, which is fine. But I'm not willing to pay that for a guy in the fourth or fifth round. You know, I just can't buy into that. And Josh Hader is another one whose value is just so high. I don't even know if he gets the bulk of the saves. Like Corey Knable's back, and we know that Knable is is more than capable to get the to do the job as a closer. And the Brewers have preferred Hader being in that fireman role, putting him where where's best suited, like in the in the tough spots. And that's not always going to be the ninth inning. Obviously, Hader's an elite ratio guy. Like he he is that good, but I don't pay for relievers that early. And those are two guys I think you could probably sell high on in, in dynasty leagues, like especially the make you at his age in a dynasty. Like I try to sell him, like get rid of him now. Hater may be more apt to keep, but again, if you're in a redraft league, Hater's value is just a little more than I want to pay. Now if he, if Hater's slipping down, I saw him go 96 and I'm mock, which man, I can get on board with that because the shortened season, especially if Hater can go like two or three innings per outing and, some starters are doing that. Like he's going to produce the elite ratios and the elite strikeout numbers to be effective. But I don't know. Just a couple guys that I am think are a little pricey for my liking. Whit Merrifield's another one, and that's hard for me to say because I'm a South Carolina Gamecock fan, and and Whit Merrifield was the hero of the College World <laughs> Series in 2010. Uh, but he just we saw the steals drop. I mean, he led the league in steals in 18, and then last year only steals 20. Going to produce good batting average, but again, he's he's not over. The, he's on the wrong side of thirty now, and he doesn't do enough to be a more than like a twenty steal guy. I'm not paying for that at, at pick fifty five. Like but he's Chris, big, the triples. Think I about know. the triples. I know, <laughs> and I hate to say it because I love Wit. Like he's a great dude. Like I've met him a couple times, but. His fantasy value is just is too high, in my opinion. I've seen him go 40s, like, way too high. And one of my big dynasty strategies is when the Steels guys get over 30, I'm trying to sell before the the bottom falls out because inevitably, like, guys can't run forever. We, we see the decline, and there's pretty su- substantial statistics that show that. Like, at 31, 32, we see the Steels pretty, decline pretty steadily. And so... I'm just not sure how much longer Witt can run effectively. And again, just the batting average, he's not going to produce much else. Not enough power to give me value there. So sell, sell, sell on Witt if I'm in a dynasty league. All right. Um, So I've already taken up plenty of your afternoon. Is there something that we should have talked about and we did not talk about? Not off the top of my head. Uh, some good stuff, man. I just enjoy talking about baseball again. I'm just happy we'll get it back and excited that we'll get to watch it in the next couple of weeks. Hopefully things can clear up in our country, man. We can get back to normal, but I'm just happy to have baseball. It kind of gives us a nice out with everything going on in the world. Um, 
But no, I think we, we covered a lot of the discussions for a short season. So unless you can think of anything else, I'm, I'm good. Perfect. So I want to end with what I like to call your walk-off bunt. Give me your hottest take on any topic we've talked about today. Oh, man. Uh, hot take. John Carlos Stanton wins MVP, which is funny because I said that I probably wouldn't be drafting him, but he's the kind of caliber player that could go off in a shortened season. Um, so that's my hot take is Stanton wins MVP. Um, Voters love dingers. Hot take. Yeah, hot take that someone does hit over 400 this year. <laughs> Hard to throw a name on that, but I do think someone hits 460 games. Oh come which on, be crazy! You can't, you can't call it a hot take and not name someone. All right, hot take: <sighs> Brian Reynolds hit 400. Wow, wow! You've really in, uh, uh, bought in hard. <laughs> They're hot takes for a reason, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks so much. Is there anything you want to plug before we uh, check out? Nope. You can just you can find my work over on Roto Fanatic. And again, I'll have an article out this week on Fantrax about ADP risers, looking at guys like Jesus Lazardo, who have seen a huge bump in their ADP over the last month or two. Um, and so we'll look at guys, are they worth the value where they're going now? Um, but again, you can find me on Twitter at Roto Clegg if you want to follow. Um, if you want to talk baseball, fantasy baseball, I'm always down because I love a good baseball discussion. Uh, thanks again, Jay, for having me on. Man, it's been an honor and a privilege. Hey, it was my pleasure. Yeah, you can follow me at jmarkle underscore byb on Twitter, and you can follow the podcast at round 11th. Have a great day, Chris.